Hey, listen, I'm glad you're here today. And we've been looking at our new mission statement. Did you memorize it yet? Has anybody memorized it? It goes like this. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're sent to do. And uh, I've, I've shared with you over the last few weeks that one of the ways we've done that is uh, through an orphanage in India. Ten years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to India. And uh, on that trip back, uh, from that time back, we began supporting a boys' orphanage for, at the time, about uh, 30 boys that grew to 40 boys. Now it's up to 60 boys. And our church fully funds the operation of that orphanage in India. And a few years ago, we came back. Uh, I've been there a handful of times now. And a couple years ago, when we came back, we told you about uh, the, the state where the boys were living. We didn't realize it at the time, but they were actually renting a home. And they had 40 boys crammed in a small house of uh, about probably half the size of most of our homes, if not a quarter of the size of some of our homes. Uh, six to 800 square feet for 40 little boys. And uh, so we said, hey, we can do better. And over the course of a short six months, we raised $50,000 to build them a home. And uh, you saw a picture of it there a little bit ago. Well, uh, you've heard this story for the last few weeks. You'll hear it for a couple more. Um, We have an opportunity now to actually build a church building on that property as well. Uh, We've done this a couple times over the last 10 years as well. We've provided a church, uh, what they would call a hall of praise in India for a church plant there. Uh, We've done that a few times, and we can do that on this property for $10,000. There's a church that meets in the orphanage, but they would have much more credibility if if they were able to have their own facilities specifically for the church to meet in. Because in India, uh, when people go to worship, uh, not necessarily worship the Lord, but, but worship false gods, they always go to temples and to places of worship. So to provide a place for them to have their church home rather than in this orphanage, but a place that was clearly dedicated to worship, uh, it would give them great credibility in their community. And they wouldn't call it a temple, but a hall of praise, a place where God is praised. And uh, we put a challenge out to you. We said, hey, what, could we raise $10,000 by the middle of October? And could we even do more than that? Um, because we talked to our contact there, Joab, and we said, he, asked, he said it would cost about 10 And I, we said, well, what could you do for 15 or 20 He said, well, we could build a bigger church and reach more people. And it could have a concrete roof instead of a metal roof. And uh, by God's grace, we've already had, I think, close to $6,000 given in the last two weeks. And so we're well on our way. And uh, we're excited to see what else the Lord might do. So if you want to give towards that, you can. And again, there's no uh, compulsion or nobody twisting your arm saying, you've got to give or something's wrong with you. No. If you don't want to give, don't give. But if you want to, and you want to give above and beyond your other giving, then please do. And I mentioned it before, but this church is starting out, Dan would be excited, with a vibrant kids ministry. they got 60 little boys right off the bat starting out there in their church. So um, we're excited about that. And if you want to give towards that, you can just mark your gift, India Church. Sound good? You'll hear about that from me the next two Sundays, and then uh, we'll, we'll give you an announcement the week after that to tell you uh, what the Lord provided through you. But as I said, we, we have a new mission statement. We are sent to love people and to invite them to follow Jesus with us. And we unpacked that a few weeks ago, and then we unpacked some, some new core values that go along with it of who we are. That's what we do. Now, this is more who we are. And we started off, number one, if we were only going to have one core value, it would be this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. 
This is his church. I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is. I'm, I'm just the lead pastor here. Jesus is the chief shepherd, Peter writes. He's the lead, the senior pastor. And it's his church. And not only is it all about Jesus, but God wrote it all down. We talked about this last week, about the reliability and the authority of your Bible. And that that's our final word. Amen? Because it's all about Jesus, so we're going to say his word uh, is the final word. Right? And, and he wrote it all down, everything we need uh, to live a life of joyful obedience and uh, to honor the Lord um, is written in his book. Does it seem dark up here to anybody? Or just me. Maybe some of those can come back up. Just so, There we go. Thank you, sir. Um, I thought maybe I was falling asleep. I thought blood sugar is going down. I'm going to pass out. So, so we, God wrote it all down, and we talked about it last week, and really talked about how, uh, how God's word is authoritative, and you can have confidence in it and the reliability of Scripture. Today we're on to this third one, that all people matter. We'll talk about that in a moment. Next week will be we all need friends. You're to be in community and relationship. That's how you live the Christian life. And finally, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk no sacred cows. And those are values that we hold to as a church. That's who we are. It's what we do. And this morning, though, all people matter. And I'm going to steal a phrase uh, from another church, from a church in Chicago. Um, and they have this statement, and I think it's really good. They, they say this, all people matter to God. Therefore, all people must matter to us. All people matter to God. Therefore, all people must matter to us. Do you agree with that? We're going to unpack that a little bit today, that statement. And we're going to be jumping around different places in scripture uh, to see what God's word has to say about it. Uh, but before we do, would you pray with me? And uh, let's pray and then we'll jump into the text. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to me and to our church through him. Lord, uh, we don't deserve anything you give us. Um, it's all your grace and your goodness and your favor that you poured out toward us. Nothing we did. So we thank you for that. Because of that, Lord, it's, it's clear then uh, that we matter to you. And not only us, but everyone you've created. Because we bear your image and you love us. Uh, so, Holy Spirit, um, today I, I pray that you would use me and speak through me and even to me as I teach. And uh, I, I thank you that you forgive me and you make me clean because of Jesus' work on the cross. And I pray against the enemy. I pray against his servants, their works and effects. He would seek to take your word and twist it. He would seek to turn our hearts away from other people and uh, toward ourselves. So instead, might you change us. Uh, give us a heart toward people, Lord, because you have a heart toward people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All people matter to God, therefore all people matter to us. Do you think that's true? All people must matter to us? I think it's incredibly true. It's exactly what God calls us to do and to be as his representatives on this earth, as his church, as his, uh, if you think of God's kingdom, we're kind of one outpost in the kingdom in Wawasee. And when we get to love people and care for people, we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us because they matter, because they matter. So what I want to do is I kind of want to break this statement down into two pieces. And first, I want to talk about the fact that all people matter to God. And I want to make a case to you from Scripture that all people matter to God. And there's a lot of reasons we could mention why all people matter to him. But I really want to focus on the main one today because we don't have uh, time to go through all of them. 
And then I'm, I'm going to share with you some of the primary evidences that all people matter to God. Two of the primary ones. Um, see, we serve and we love others for God's glory, for their good, and for our joy. And that's because all people matter to God. And the reason they matter, the, the main reason that people matter to God is because we all bear his image. Every one of us are image bearers. Have you read Genesis chapter 1? Uh, most people, if they've only read a part of, part of the Bible, they've read that part. Because you get started and then you're like, oh, I can't keep going. This is too much work. And they never open it again. But they read that first chapter. And right away in the beginning, do you know what it says about our creator or about our creation? It says that God then, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So the Lord, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. See, what I want to submit to you is that every person's dignity, value, and worth resides in this truth and in this truth alone. That, that we have value and dignity because of we, we bear God's image. Too often, though, people, uh, they're running around, all of us, you and I both. We try to find our value and our dignity and our worth in other things. See if any of these sound familiar. They're called idols. Career, our pedigree, our gender, our age, our health, our activity. We try to find our value from all of those things. And, and God says, no, it's because you bear my image. And of everything that God created, humanity is the crown jewel of his creation. Did you know that? It's the crown jewel of his creation. Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus talks about this when he talks about worry in Matthew chapter 6. He says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you of little faith? You know why he says that? In other words, when he care more about you, you're made in God's image. You're worth so much more than the grass and the lilies. What this means is that before God, on the basis of our image-bearing quality, there's no difference in us due to age or gender or sin. And all people matter from conception to the grave. See, in Genesis 1, if you look at this, this is the only thing Genesis 1 tells us about Humanity. It goes on to say that we're to have dominion over the earth, right? And it talks a little bit more about that the next few verses. But everything that God tells us about humanity in the creation account of chapter 1, the first time through, focuses on the fact that we bear his image. Now, why would that be? Why would that be the one thing that God keys in on in, in chapter 1 of Genesis? I would say because it's the most basic element of what it means to be human. Is to bear God's image. It's the foundation of human dignity and of our rights. The fact that we're created in the image of God, imago Dei, maybe you've heard that term, is exactly why we matter to God and why other people must matter to us. Let's explore this just a little bit more. First off, we are humbly honored above everything else in creation. I said this already, that we're the crown jewel of creation, right? But, but we are humbly honored we're humble because we're below God. We know our humble, to be humble is to know your place, but we're above everything else in creation. It, the fact that we bear his image distinguishes us from all the animals and from all the plant life. 
In 2008, Spain's parliament, they passed a law that gave human rights to, to great apes. Did you know that? But that doesn't take away from the fact that humanity is actually of greater value than any great ape. In, uh, in Switzerland, in the same year, they added to their constitution a plants' rights uh, clause that said it was unlawful to, to just willfully uh, take the life of, let me, let me see how they, how they phrased it here, um, the arbitrary killing of flora is morally wrong, is what they said. But neither of those alter the fact, no matter what we would say, alter the fact that humanity is of a higher order value and dignity than anything else God created. In fact, you know what I would say? I would say passing laws like that prove my point. Because um, how many other species have given rights to another other than humanity? I mean, when was the last time that the birds got together and said, um, we're going to pass a law and uh, we're going to, we're going to find anybody who carries a disease to the humans. Did you hear, you ever heard of that? It's ridiculous, right? No other species does this. That, that alone gives evidence to the fact that we're greater than any other species. Uh, how many other species has held itself in check in an effort to prevent another from extinction? You know, the tiger is going to kill the last whatever and he's hungry. He goes, Oh wait, I can't do that. I can't eat him. He's the last one. He's protected. When was the last time that happened? Never. Maybe in the jungle book. That's about it. It doesn't happen, right? Humanity is of a greater order. If we were equal with animals, then why wouldn't they be put in jail when a human being is killed? Because humanity bears the image of God. Remember Harambe this spring? Do you remember that story? The gorilla in the zoo in Cincinnati? He was shot in Cincinnati after he nearly killed a four-year-old boy who fell into his enclosure. Do you remember that story? And there was a huge outrage over the fact that the gorilla was killed. And do you know why there was a huge outrage? Because people are created in the image of God. And they care and are, are given the authority to care for the rest of creation. The fact that they cared so much about this gorilla demonstrated the fact that they're actually of a higher order than the gorilla. Because God's given us dominion over the fish of the sea and the livestock and the birds of the air. It's in our very nature. We're to rule like he would rule and, and to reflect him and represent him on this earth. Therefore, an attack on any human being is tantamount to an attack on God himself. See, when God creates, it's, it's in our image after our likeness. It's in the image of God. And it's male and female that he created them. And after the flood, after the flood, God says this to Noah. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is an initial justification in scripture for capital punishment. You're like, well, that seems kind of harsh, Josh. But, but it's there in scripture because God is saying uh, the highest value is a human life. Because they bear my image. So if you're going to take a human life, you better be ready to forfeit your own. It's a very serious thing before God. And human dignity is rooted in the image of God. It's why all people matter. The, the supreme value of the image of God far outweighs any other consideration determining our worth. You know, in fact, this, this determines how we treat other people. I couldn't find an author of this quote, but let me read it to you. I thought it was good. It was published from the, in the Christian World Journal, World, Worldview Journal by the Colson Center. It said he's, he wrote this. 
he or she, I don't know. Uh, To put it simply, anytime you value something more than the image of God and how you think about yourself or others, you are quite literally insulting God to his face. Whether you consider race, sex, class, appearance, age, mental capacity, ability or disability, anything, you're insulting God to his face. This includes valuing people on the basis of their religious beliefs. Christians who think that they're better than others because their faith, because of their faith have forgotten the very first element of the gospel. We're all sinners who can bring nothing good to God that would make us worthy of salvation. But what we could not provide for ourselves, God provided for us. Christians, therefore, have no claim in being better than anyone else. And we must insist that all human beings are equally valuable regardless of faith, lifestyle, vices, criminal background, anything else, because we all share the image of God. There is therefore never any excuse for any form of bigotry, racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, or any other isms in our culture. Christians should be and historically have been at the forefront of civil rights. Did you know that? Did you know that? That Christians have been at the forefront of so many civil rights. See, because the image of God is the basis for our equality. The Apostle Paul told us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female in Christ. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Um, Slavery was condemned first by Christians because people bear the image of God. As early as Thomas Aquinas and others moving forward. Earlier than that even, Martin Luther King's leadership in the civil rights movement was was based on a profound understanding of of the Christian natural law theory going back to at least the early 13th century. His letter from Birmingham Birmingham Jail is based on these arguments anchored in the Christian tradition that recognized our equality and intrinsic dignity because of bearing the image of God. Early Christians promoted the rights of children and the unborn as well. Did you know that? The the plight of the unborn isn't a new issue. It was alive and well in the early church. In an era where infanticide was mandated by law for handicapped and allowed under any circumstances, did you know that the early Christians worked to save babies from death? They brought them into their own households and adopted them. They petitioned the government to end legalized murder. Christians pioneered rights for women as well. Jesus gave, gave more dignity and, and rights to women than any other, Christ, any other religious leader. And Christianity resulted in a tremendous increase in prestige, opportunity, and freedom for women. I, I could go on and on and on, but all I want to say is that this is rooted in our image bearing. That we're like God and we have value, dignity, and worth before God because we bear God's image. You with me? Now, a couple quick evidences of, of how God demonstrates that value toward us. The first off is he reveals himself to everyone through what what you would call theologically general revelation or common grace. General revelation just refers to the fact that God has made it known to anyone who would open their eyes and and who would take or who would take a breath that, that he does exist. He has generally revealed himself in his creation. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, all you gotta do is look up at the sky and you're like, that didn't happen on accident. Everyone knows it in their heart. Paul says there's no excuse for those because God has, has made, it, made it clear in all that his crea- he has created, his power. What can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to us. We all 
have, have, have his evidence of, of God's existence revealed to us. But the greater evidence of his care for all people is that he offers salvation to all people. Did you know God offers salvation to anyone who would believe? Some people get really fired up and angry with Christianity because they go, oh, it's so exclusive. It's so exclusive. That Jesus guy, he's like, are you telling me that he's the only way? Uh, what about other religions? What about people who just are, live a really good life? And, and you're right, it is exclusive. But you know it's also inclusive? Because Jesus said, whoever would come to me can be saved. He put no distinction on who that is. As Paul wrote, neither, Greek, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus said that God so loved the world. Last time I checked, that meant um, the world. <laughs> Everyone. Theologically, I think sometimes people try to twist that and say, oh, it only means the people Jesus died for on the cross. I, don't, I have a hard time saying that when I look at it. And it just clearly says he died for the world. That he so loved the world that all people matter to God. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Do you know you're sent like Jesus is? That means we're sent not to condemn the world, but to love them and invite them to follow Jesus, just like Jesus did. In Acts, there was proof that the gospel was for all people, not just the Jewish people. In Acts 11, uh, When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God. They said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Loved ones, here's the point. All people matter to God because we bear his image. We could go on and on and on and on about that. And, And he demonstrates it in the fact that he reveals himself to all people and he offers salvation to all people. But this next piece is really the key piece. All people matter to God, therefore they must matter to us. If this is going to be a core value of who we are and what we do, how do we live this truth out that all people must matter to us? I want to give you three things, um, but I think there's, there's probably many more we could go, but, but three key implications, primary ways that we can demonstrate as God's people that all people matter. The first one is this. Uh, we must do justice. We must do justice. We must do justice. Uh, now, this is easy to say. Because anybody who sees a wrong, they go, oh, there needs to be justice in that case. There needs, somebody needs to make it right. That's easy to say, but how do we do it? How do we do it? See, the, re- the reality is that justice will never be fully realized until Jesus returns, right? Um, in Isaiah 9, chapter, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah writes this, For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That's a promise yet to be fulfilled. Jesus is going to come back. Verse 7, his government, its its peace will never end. He's going to rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And Jesus will bring perfect justice. But in the meantime, God says this to us in Micah. He says, he's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. There's kind of three key things in there. The first one is to do justice. And what does it mean to do justice? Well, literally, I I think the the basic definition is just to do what's right. You want to do justice? Do what's right. To love kindness means to love mercy. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. 
to show kindness to people, to walk humbly with faithfulness before God. To do justice just means to do what's right. Now, that's an easy thing to, to figure out, isn't it? To do what's right most of the time. If I see an old lady fall, what do I do? What's right? I help pick her up. If uh, I, I see someone in need and they're really thirsty and they need a drink, what do I do? I give them a cup of cold water. That's pretty easy to know what to do is right. When I find somebody's wallet uh, and, and I open it up and I, I find out whose it is and they lost it, what's the, what's the right thing? What's the just thing to do? To return it to them. Pretty simple, isn't it? To do what's right. At its basic level, justice is just doing what's right. But doing justice becomes a problem when we don't have a standard for what's right. When justice is based on what I think or what I feel is right, then it gets perverted. It begins to favor one class of people over another. It begins to cater to one demographic or race over another. It begins to value some people more than others. And in our sin, justice gets perverted when we don't use a common standard. And it leads to racism. It leads to sexism. It leads to classism. It leads to every ism. So we have to add to our definition, not just to do what's right, but to do what's right according to God's word. We talked about it last week, right? God wrote it all down. His word is our final authority. So to do justice is to do what's right according to his word. Now, Jesus gave us a great example of this. And when he confronts injustice uh, a few times, but one time in particular in the Pharisees and in the religious leaders, and this is in Matthew chapter 23, and and he goes to the leaders and he says this to him, and he actually ends up quoting uh, from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He goes, And what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees and hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law? For you are like whitewashed tombs, Jesus said, beautiful on the outside, but, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. What Jesus is saying is, you look the part, but you're not really doing it. You're all talk and no action. You say, go do what's right, but guess what you never do? What's right? You're like a whitewashed tomb. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. I've skipped ahead into the chapter. I should go back. Let me go back to the beginning of chapter 23. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, he said, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and they love to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, Jesus said, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. 
Now, is Jesus saying you shouldn't call your dad father or you shouldn't call your teacher teacher? No, he's just making a point that, listen, um, don't go for the title. Uh, Live it out. Live it out. The greatest among you, he says, must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, they'll be exalted. And he turns to the Pharisees. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? You're hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you? For you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. You're blind guides. What sorrow awaits you? You say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it's binding to swear by the gold in the temple. You're a blind fool. Which is more important, the gold in the temple or that which makes the gold sacred? And he goes on and on. And finally, verse 23, he says, What sorrow awaits you, for you are careful to tithe even the, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, namely justice, mercy, and faith. Yeah, you should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. Don't neglect to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Jesus is quoting from from, uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And James tells us, be doers of the word. So what's it look like to not hearers only, deceiving ourselves? So what's it look like? How do we do justice? I wrote down a few ideas for you. Um, Maybe one way is you would support the boys' orphanage. And help them. That's, that's helping do what's right for those boys who have no father, no mother. Uh, maybe you could volunteer as a, a child advocate in homes of, of kids who need help, who, whose parents either don't want them or just simply neglect them. And you could volunteer that way. Maybe you'd volunteer some other way in the community. I do this. I serve on the board for Habitat for Humanity in Kosciuszko County. And that's one of the ways that I, that I serve and kind of get out there and try to do justice. Um, Uh, Maybe you could simply visit a neighbor and knock on the door and see if there's something you could do or some way you could help. Um, Maybe you could support Fred and Abby Lisko. They're heading to Indonesia soon. Did you know this? Many of you do. And they're going to be working basically a justice ministry there to rescue girls from the sex trade. What are some ways you could do justice? We actually have one available for you this morning as you leave. Uh, there's a table set up in, uh, in, the, in the lobby as you go out the door and turn to the left at the black cloth on it. And basically what this is, is it's a petition that you can sign your name to. And, and normally we don't, some people you might get fired up about this because you'll say, oh, Josh, you're bringing politics into, into and I'm not. This is a moral issue. Um, but it, it's a petition uh, that will be sent to the, the Indiana University Health department, uh, to the university's health and research department, uh, they're actually purchasing uh, tissue and organs of aborted babies and using them for research, and they're suing to be able to keep doing this. Did you know this? Now, you, there, I know that's a big issue in our culture. Is abortion right or wrong? I'm telling you, according to God's law and according to his word, it's clearly wrong because all people matter from conception the Lord says in, in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, For I knew you in your mother's womb to the grave. From conception to your final breath, life matters. Because from conception, that little baby bears God's image. And abortion is murder. Now, if you've been a part of abortion, you need to know that the Lord forgives. 
And he loves you, and we love you, and there's grace and healing, but it's only in Jesus Christ. And I know those sound like harsh words, but they're true. And so there's an opportunity for you uh, to sign a petition. And, and some people might say, well, what's the difference between them using, the baby's already dead, what's the difference between using that tissue and the tissue of a cadaver? Well, cadavers used by medical students were at one time living adults who freely gave their life and freely gave their, not their life, but their bodies to be used for that research. They had a choice in that. Um, the baby had no personal choice in the matter. The baby's parts also are being sold for profit. I mean, there's processing fees with cadavers, but it's, it's not like this black market of, of profit. I know this is a gruesome thing, but it's true. And we need to do what was it? Justice. Why? Because all people matter from conception to the grave. All people. And there is alternative available for IU's research. So I'd encourage you, you can check out more information as you leave. If you don't want to, there's no one compelling you to, but there's one way maybe you could do justice even today before you leave this place. Um, But as we do justice, as we do what's right, we've got to do it with the right attitude and with the right heart and the right tone, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 4 says, Walk in wisdom, Paul says, toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. Peter tells us to, to, to have an answer for the hope you have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. So as you do justice, do it with the heart of love like Jesus would, right? So that's one way we demonstrate all people matter is we do justice. We do what's right according to God's word. Another way, though, that, w- that we demonstrate all people matter and that we can start to live this out is, is we've got to start to see everyone as spiritual. Every person, every human being is a spiritual being with a body. <laughs> They're just a spiritual being who has a physical body. The physical will not endure, but their, their spirit will endure forever. Everyone is spiritual. Not, not looking at people according to the flesh, but according to God's view. See, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, For the love of Jesus controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we've all died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's the verse I want to point your eyes towards, verse 16. From now on, therefore, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. See, Paul says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Do you know, Paul, originally his name was Saul. And when he saw Jesus, he, he, he viewed him simply as a man who was disobeying God. He regarded him only according to the flesh. Because Paul, in his understanding of the law, didn't, didn't accept the grace Jesus was teaching and, and just failed to see some things and how it all tied back to the Old Testament. And so then one day, uh, Paul, Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And Jesus shows up to him on the road, blinds him, he falls down on the ground, he can't see, and, and Jesus reveals himself to him there. In Acts chapter 9, you can read about it. And from that time on, Paul's, everything about Paul's life changed. He, he began to see people, uh, all people, as spiritual beings in need of a Savior, namely Jesus. So if we're going to really demonstrate that all people matter, we've got to start to see that everyone's spiritual. So what does this mean? Well, it means we've got to look and not judge people by their cover, not just by their actions, not just by the way that they're hiding. 
See, even the man who's, who's absolutely reviling and in the face of God and speaking evil about him, beneath the surface there, whether he realizes it consciously or not, is this search for something to fill the void in his heart and in his soul. I would come into you, it's a lot like the Legos I played with as a little boy. <laughs> like, that's a big leap, Josh. Well, here, when I was a little boy, I played with Legos all the time, right? I loved Legos. I can't wait till Charlie's old enough to play with Legos and not choke on him. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that day. But one year for Christmas, my mom and dad bought my brother and I uh, these tubs of, of blocks that on the, on the box of the blocks, it was like this round tub, it said on it, works with Lego. But they weren't Lego bricks. They were Tyco blocks. And they were awful. I mean, it, from like the, it just, that, that made an impression on me as a seven, eight-year-old little boy. They looked like Legos. They had the same patterns, the same number of, of little uh, connectors as Legos. But they were Tycos. And they were Jippos. And they were awful, man. They would, they would stick to the Legos for a little bit, but only kind of. And then they'd fall off. And you really knew it if you built something big with them. And you tried to build a big tower because the farther out you went and the bigger you went, the more that they didn't line up quite right. And it just looked pretty awful. And it's, you just kind of flick it and it'd fall over. And they barely even stuck to themselves, let alone Lego bricks. They, they were... It was shady. I don't know who was selling them, but they, they disappointed a lot of seven-year-old little boys like me. But, you know, that's exactly what a lot of people are doing. Uh, they're buying tubs of blocks that pretend to work with Legos, but really they're a fraud. They're buying blocks that are labeled, works with your career, gives you meaning, gives you life, uh, works with your sexuality. Works with fill in the blank. And it's a fraud. They're finding meaning in good things, like a career, family, health. Those are all good things, but they're inadequate to fill the void in their heart, that spiritual void. And they need someone like you and I. Paul says, uh, who's going to believe if they don't have someone to come and tell them the good news? They need someone like you and I who are sent to love them and invite them to follow Jesus with them and help them see that, no... Those aren't the real thing. Those are a fraud. They're good, but they're, they're going to leave you empty. Jesus is the only thing that will fulfill that spiritual void in your heart. And see, this is the way that Jesus regarded others, the way he did and the way he does. He had an amazing ability to look beyond the surface right at someone's heart. He did it with Peter. In, in John chapter 1, uh, he brought to him Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, looked at Peter, and he said, You're Simon, the son of John. From now on, you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas, literally, you know what it means? It means rock. Now, if you know anything about Peter's life from the gospel accounts, and, and even up to that point in time, you know that rock is the last word that you would use to describe him. It's just the last one that would probably come to mind. Uh, words uh, like impulsive or volatile, or hot-tempered, or uh, quick to speak and slow to think. Unreliable seemed to be a better fit than rock. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did. John says that Jesus looked at him, that he looked at him intently, and he said, you're, you're, you're the rock, Peter. He saw beyond who he was to who he would be. When you look at people, do you see them where they're at now or where they could be if they would follow Jesus? 
See them as spiritual. Uh, We do the same thing with people. When you give your kids a nickname, is it one that builds them up or is it one that tears them down? I think about that already with Charlie at nine months old. What what names am I calling him? Are are they going to give him courage and strength to grow up to be a man of God or are they going to make him feel weak and timid? Jesus does this with children. In, In Mark chapter 10, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. See, the disciples didn't look beyond the surface. They just saw pesky kids getting in the way. And Jesus says, no, those are lives that matter. I love kids. Let them come to me. In fact, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you receive it like one of these little little boys and little girls receives me. He does it with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus perceives that she's thirsty for more than just water. But that she needs something to fill her soul. She needed the gospel. So we need to look at everyone as spiritual. And then finally, we've got to strive to love and invite everyone. If we're going to really demonstrate that all people matter, then we need to be willing to love and invite everyone and anyone. We're sent to enter their world, to love them, to invite them to follow Jesus with us. This is what Jesus does. See, Paul talks about it like this, about becoming all things to all people. Becoming all things to all people so that all glory goes to Jesus. Here's how he writes about it. In 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. See, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Paul's saying that when I was with the Jews, I I just became like them to love them because they mattered. I put my rights aside and loved them as they were. You know what this passage, this is going to show up again in a couple weeks when we talk about no sacred cows. Because Paul put all the things that didn't matter aside so that he could reach people with the gospel. Uh, When I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to it, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I'm with Gentiles who don't follow Jewish law, I too live apart from the law that I can bring them to Christ. Here's the key. But I don't ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. I still honor Jesus. I don't discard that becoming all things to all people. But anything that doesn't matter, I'm just saying that's, that's, I'm I'm not going to hold on to that. It's not sacred. I do everything, he says, to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Loved ones, we, we need to be willing to put things down, preferences, uh, you, you name it, so that more people meet Jesus. We need to be willing to go into situations where we don't feel comfortable and love people that are unlovely and invite people we don't like to follow Jesus with us. Because they matter to God. Are we willing to really demonstrate this? To, to demonstrate it means to do justice, to do what's right according to God's law. It means to see everyone as spiritual, to see beyond the surface, beyond what meets the eye to their heart. And it means to be willing to step in and invite anyone to follow. Amen? Listen, I'm going to pray. We're going to take our offering. Uh, We're going to sing. We'll call it a morning. And uh, let me pray. Father, um, it's easy for us in our sin to to ignore people. to turn our hearts toward ourselves. In fact, that, that was really at the root of a lot of the sin in the garden that, 
that Adam and Eve did what they wanted to do with disregard for what you had told them to do. They believed the enemy's lie, and um, they suffered for it. Father, for us, you, you tell us clearly that all people matter to you, and therefore they should matter to us. Help us to live that out. Father, that's a, that's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment choice that each of us make. But I do pray you'd encourage us this week with that truth. Uh, who, are, who are the people that you, you put us by at work or at school or uh, in line at the store? Will we see them as someone who matters to you, the people we interact with on the phone or via email? Will we treat them like image bearers who have value and dignity and worth precisely because you made them and you love them? Turn our hearts toward you that our hearts might be turned towards others, Father. And I pray this morning, too, for those who maybe um, have never trusted you, who would hear my voice. Might today be the day that they'd, they'd give their life, Jesus, to you and be made new. Thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.